Thanks for tuning in to Christian Medical and Dental Association's chapel. May the message be a blessing to you. Today we're going to talk about the five important factors in spiritual transformation, and um, I'm going to be referencing a book that I've been interacting with, uh, uh, Robert McColland. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read his stuff. If you know Ruth Haley Barton, some of you know her. Her kind of her spiritual mentor, I'd say, right, is this gentleman, gentleman, and his writings. And so uh, he uh, he talks about spiritual transformation and. You know, one of the things I appreciate about the Christian life is that it is nothing that you can ever say you've arrived, right? You're always growing. You're always learning. You're, you're always pressing deeper still into God, his grace, his mercies, uh, understanding the beauty and the majesty of the gospel. It is, it is not something you can just fully comprehend. And so uh, I've appreciated uh, Robert's uh, his writings and, and some other things that I'm going to share, but he presses into what does it mean to see spiritual transformation? What does that look like for us as Christ followers? So that's what I wanted to look at a little bit today. One of the first factors that anytime we talk about spiritual transformation is that it's a work of God. <laughs> it's a work of His grace. It's a work of His initiation. We are, are humble and, and submitted recipients of that grace and mercy. He is doing the changing. He is doing the trans, transforming. Yes, we're participants. We, we are uh, vessels in the ways that he's working in and through us, but he is the one doing that work. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. Charles Hodge said this, sanctification, sanctification, being set apart, being made holy. We often use that as a mark of what does it mean to grow in the greater grace and knowledge of the Lord. Sanctification is not a work of nature, but a work of grace. It is a transformation of character affected not by moral influences, but supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. You know, we understand at least I trust most of us in this room do, and, and uh, those who call themselves Christ followers, they know that we need the gospel for our salvation. We need what Christ has accomplished, what he has fully accomplished on the cross through his death, burial, and then his resurrection for us, for our salvation, to have eternal life. We know that we have to be fully submitted. We need to trust him. And yet, so oftentimes, we move away from that when we think about our own spiritual growth and development. We think as if somehow we've got to stop trusting, and now we've got to try harder. Now, now our walk with God is completely dependent upon us, gritting our teeth, working hard, performing, making sure we do all the right things. The thing is, we don't graduate from the gospel. It isn't something in our rearview mirror, but rather it's something we continue to press into. It's something continually before us. The beauty of the gospel is something we continually are reminded of. Paul Miller, who was a pastor in Philadelphia, used to say, we need to preach to ourselves the gospel every day. 
we have to be reminded of the truth and beauty of that. And so it is not incumbent on us to simply try to work and, be, and perform in our Christian life. It's just somehow that is dependent on us. But it is like our salvation. It is a work of God and work of his grace in our life to see that accomplished. And it happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. Mulholland, uh, here in his book, Invitation to, to a Journey, this is a book I'm working through right now. Uh, I know Pam Smythe has worked through it. Is, I think you're on to another book of his. And uh, as I said, Ruth Haley Barton, if you know her, uh, she sees him and has referred to him as a spiritual mentor. And, and I've been, I'm not even through his entire book here, but Invitation to a Journey, uh, he says this, once we understand spiritual formation as a process, all of life becomes spiritual formation. That's important. We're going to come back to that. Spiritual formation as being formed will also be seen to move against the grain of our do-it-yourself culture and our powerful need to be in control of our existence. But spiritual formation as being formed will reveal that God is the initiator of our growth toward wholeness and we are to be pliable clay in God's hand. So often we think of, or we can have a tendency to think of our spiritual formation, our transformation, us being more and more transformed into the image of Christ is somehow incumbent on us doing all the right things. And we're going to talk about those things. And those things have a place and a purpose. But it's not, it's not about us doing the right things. Somehow we're in control. We're not necessarily in the driver's seat. It is God doing that work upon us. It, and it is a process. It is not a one and done but rather it is God doing that as we allow ourselves and our lives to be yielded to him, to be pliable clay in his hands. And spiritual formation is not just a process, but all of life becomes spiritual formation. So often we can categorize the spiritual world in those, those small buckets, you know, whether it be church on Sundays or our devotional time. And although those are important, and they're important disciplines of grace to, to, you know, have in our life. All of life becomes an opportunity for God to mold us and make us into the person he wants to be. Your drive here this morning, for some of you, was a sanctifying work, maybe. <laughs> Depending on what you experience. I know it isn't, I know it wasn't Atlanta every day. The conversations you might have had yesterday with a, a member maybe challenging or even edifying, encouraging, or a sanctifying work. Your interactions with us, one another, as colleagues here at CMDA. The relationships you have, the challenges you face, the frustrations you feel. This God doing and showing up is in your life to mold and make you into the kind of person he wants you to be. Oftentimes, though, that's going to mean for us to be willing for the Lord to take us into the directions he wants us to to be willing to not only listen, but to respond in faith in the manners that he would desire for us. So not only is it God's initiative, not only is it a work of his grace through the work of the Holy Spirit, but he uses these means of grace. He uses things like the word of God to mold us, to make us into the person he wants. So truth, God's truth changes us. His word 
to us, his love letter to us, this redemptive, this great redemptive story of making us, creating us, and yet in our fall and in our disobedience, pursuing us to reconcile us and pursuing us to the point where he sends his own son, Jesus, to leave the glory of heaven, to come, to take on human flesh, to dwell among us, to die a criminal's death that he did not deserve, living a life of holiness and righteousness that we could not live ourselves, resurrecting, creating in and through us new life through the work of his Holy Spirit, through the resurrection power that he himself demonstrated. That is all throughout the scriptures and it is, it is through the scriptures that molds and makes us into the person that he wants us to be. Psalm 19.7, the Bible is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Again, Mulholland says this, our constant struggle with the issue of control is a crucial part of our spiritual pilgrimage. I don't mind spiritual formation at all as long as I can be in control of it. As long as I can set the limits on its pace and direction, I have no problem. What I do have a problem with is getting my control structures out of the way of my spiritual formation and letting God take control. In the final analysis, there is nothing we can do to transform ourselves into persons who love and serve as Jesus did, except make ourselves available for God to do that work of transforming grace in our lives. And the word of God is essential in that. Left to our own devices, if, I, if I'm left to my own devices and to the, to the conversations that I have in my own head, I'm going to be inclined to do some things that are going to be knucklehead decisions. But when I put myself under the word of God and I let the word of God inform me, it is through the word of God that he can do that transforming life. And it is, in a lot of ways, my willingness to be pliable clay to say, you know, although I may be inclined to think this way or to behave in this way or to believe this, I'm hearing something completely different in your word. And am I willing to come under the authority of what you say is true of myself, of the world I live in, and what does it mean to be a disciple and maturing follower of Christ? The word of God will inform us. It will it will be the work that he uses to transform us. For, you know, uh, Paul said to Timothy, for all scripture, what is God breathed? It is coming from the very mouth of God. It is his word to us and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It teaches us, it gives us, and informs us how we are to, to live and think rightly and to behave in a way that, that the Lord desires for us, and then yet it rebukes us when we're out of accord to that. It, it says, whoa, wait a minute, you're going in the wrong direction, and then it corrects us, it turns us back, it helps us to restore us to how we are then to, to live, and then of course it trains us, it continues to help us grow and mature in righteousness. Another way for spiritual transformation is People will change you, the people, the company we make. And usually if it's wise and those who are close to us, they're going to have the most impact and effect. We are not created in isolation. We are a household of faith. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family and we are meant to live 
in community with one another. And part of that is worshiping together, having time of fellowship and prayer together, to admonish and encourage one another, to potentially maybe bear one, one another's burdens, to maybe sometimes have to correct one another, to speak truth in love when necessary. But those around us are an important part of our sanctification, our transformation, our growth in Christ. Proverbs 13:20 says, "Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm." Another thing that can transform us is the very world we live in. You know, we fight against the world, the flesh and the devil. <laughs> We fight in a world that there is loss and disappointment. And, uh, you know, we bear some of those concerns in our prayer time together. And if, you know, you ha only had to be just paying attention the last two years, it's been a tough two years for most of the world. And, and in our own circles, in our own personal orbits, we've had people sick or maybe death. We've had financial loss or ruin. There's been struggles, maybe strife, difficulty challenges, disappointments, frustrations. It's certainly been a trying time. And it's in the context of that suffering, that those struggles, the world that we live in that draws us can be the very means to which God draws us into a deeper dependence upon him, that we would cling tightly to the cross of Christ. Romans 5, 3, 4 says, Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I have mentioned a series of books. This is the second in a series. It's called Every Moment Holy. It's prayers and liturgies that kind of talk through some of the normal things, the things that are ordinary in life oftentimes. Uh, the first volume does, and I've read, I think, a little out of that in the past, this is volume two, and this is, uh, deals mostly with grief and suffering and loss. And it's, it's just got some, you know, I, so oftentimes it says in Romans 8, you know, I can only sometimes communicate those groanings <laughs> that the Spirit himself can, uh, can make known. But it is, uh, it's these prayers that often can articulate the very things of my heart that I want to pray at any moment. And uh, I find these prayers to be very helpful in directing my thoughts, my words, and my intentions. There's a prayer in here that I thought was interesting. It touches on something that I think ties into what I just discussed. It's a prayer, it's a liturgy before medical treatment, which I thought is very important. He says, I'm gonna, I can't read the whole thing, it's, it's long, but I'm gonna pull the beginning and the end and as bookmarks, and I think it's gonna communicate the essence of what I wanna say. It says, O Christ, my hope in present troubles, Today I approach this treatment with a measure of trepidation and uncertainty, but I approach it also with the guarded hope that it will prove effective, slowing or stemming the advance of the condition besetting me, perhaps even turning the tide of my disease, so that I might see whatever now threatens me driven into retreat or even defeated. I beseech you, O God, my Father, be merciful, be gracious, be kind. Let what I undergo today prove something more than an empty exercise. I think, I think that's kind of a big part of how God uses our suffering. It, there's purpose. There, I, although I don't pretend to always understand the purpose, and nor would I ever in my comfort to another person presume I know the purpose, but I do think we can depend on that there's a purpose, even our suffering, 
and God's in the middle of it. And he often draws close to us in our tears. I find that he's the closest in our tears. Then it goes on and to the end, it says, Whenever, uh, whatever comes of this treatment will and in no way diminish anything upon which my best hopes are fixed. In that great assurance, give me courage, strength, and peace, inexplicable, that I might bear your presence and shine your light of love and mercy, even to those who serve me today in their practice of medicine. Now lead me through this treatment and all of the hardships of this temporary exile, O Christ, and when it is your good pleasure, lead me home to you, to your joyous kingdom, your enduring city, your glad fellowship of friends and angels, and all created beings who eternally adore you. Amen. It is often in the times of suffering and grief and loss and trials and difficulty that uh, Christ is the sweetest. And my times, my own, I've seen, I can, I can look back uh, times of my spiritual growth and transformation formation have were um, most significant in those moments. Um, it almost becomes like a greenhouse effect. It just, it almost amplifies growth and dependence upon Christ during those moments. And then ultimately, there's change, there's transformation. And as I said early on, it's, it's, it's not a one and done. It's, it doesn't all happen at once. It's not, you know, not until this, not this side of glory is it going to be complete. But we should be able to look back and, and we can see. Now, you know, it can be tough day to day to see that. But if you look at snapshots, I trust you see the Lord's gracious hand upon you, his transforming work, the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit in and through your life, that you are a different person today as you were a year ago, two years ago, five and ten. God is at work. And then it says here, you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Our lives will look distinctively different in Christ by his work and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, this quote by Mahalan says, spiritual formation is not an option. The inescapable conclusion is that life itself is a process of spiritual development. The only choice we have is whether that growth moves us towards wholeness in Christ or toward an increasingly dehumanized and destructive mode of being. I think what he's getting at here is, you know, we don't live in a vacuum. There's going to be transformation. We can allow Christ to have his work in and through us through that process. Or we're we going to allow the world to shape us. You know, Romans says, you know, we don't want to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, right? But by the renewing of our mind, which is, is the way we want God to be work in and through us as we offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. So there's going to be a shaping. There will be a tra uh, transforming. And either the world's going to do it, the things around us, or we're going to allow ourselves to be shaped and formed by Christ and the work of his spirit. Something's going to happen. Will it be to the glory of God that he will, that we will allow him to work in and through us. Let me pray. Father, thank you uh, that you are the initiator. You who began a good work in us brings it to completion. And we're grateful for that. Help us to lean into dependence and trust to allow ourselves by the work of your spirit to be pliable clay in your hands. Mold us, make us into the men and women you want us to be. And thank you that we do so out of a deep abiding walk and an overflow of you, knowing that we are deeply loved sons and daughters of the King. We're grateful for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.